Welcome to Passion Life Church. We're going to love today. Um, if you have a Bible, go with me to Mark chapter 6. It's on the right-hand side. I remember coming out of professional baseball, and I went to the Raiders chaplain, uh, the Oakland Raiders at the time, and I went to the chaplain, and I said, what do I need to do? I said, I've decided to follow Jesus, not just to believe in Jesus, but to follow Jesus. And I go, what's the next steps? What, what do you suggest I do? And he says, you know, most people, he said, make the mistake of focusing on all new behaviors, all kind of new ways of living, and they focus on trying to be good enough, a good Christian. He says, you're already a Christian. He says, that means Christ lives in you. He says, do yourself a favor. He says, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And read the Bible, the miracles of the Bible, the New Testament. Read the miracles over and over and over out loud. He said what's going to happen is it's going to change the way you think, the way that you embrace what you expect from God. And he says what's going to happen is when other people see obstacle, you're going to see opportunity. When other people see lack or scarcity or struggle, you'll see the potential for solutions. When other people might see sickness or hurt, pain or affliction, you'll see an opportunity for healing. It will change your mind to where you'll begin to think like God thinks and see things from his perspective. How many know your perspective is either your passport or your prison? That was a good little nugget right off the bat. That was a good one right there. So I love the Word of God because it's able to change the way you think and what you believe. And the Bible says faith comes when you hear God speak. So today, you could say this out loud as we start. Say, faith's going to come. Say like you got energy. Say, faith's going to come as I hear God speak. And I'm going to ask you for a little energy today, okay? This is about now three, almost three months straight. This will be my 40-second speaking engagement in about 50 days. About 70,000 people live and about 400,000 people online. So we've been able to communicate to a lot of people in the last couple of days. And people are hungry for what we're going to talk about today. They're hungry and people are looking for what the God that you know, the God that you serve, and the Word of God. Mark chapter 6, and I'll read the first six verses, and then I will uh, step into what I want to talk about. It says, Jesus went away from there and he came to his own country, his hometown. Nazareth, his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in their synagogue. Many who listened to him were astonished, saying, where did this man get all of this? What is the wisdom which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and not all of his sisters here among us? And they took offense that is, they were hurt, they disapproved, and it hindered him, them from accepting Jesus' authority. And they were caused to stumble and fall, this translation says. But verse 4, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor or reverence except in his own country, among his own relatives. And he was not able to do one work of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled. Because of their unbelief, their lack in faith in him. Therefore, he went out from among the to the surrounding villages, and he continued to teach. Very, very, very powerful point of Scripture. And you're going to like today because I'm going to point out three different aspects, I think, that you can bring into your world so that you can truly live up in this down world. Okay? How many know the, this planet's not getting any brighter? 
Hey, how many know that there's a lot of craziness on the planet? All you got to do is go on Instagram for about five minutes and it will put you into a state of depression. Come on, you don't even, come on, you just go straight into a state of anger, pessimism, skepticism. But I don't know about you, God left us here. He didn't take you to heaven when you were born again. There must be a reason why he left you on the planet. He didn't want Moses. He didn't want Esther. He didn't want David. He didn't want Peter. He didn't want Paul. He didn't want Mary. He didn't want Martha. He didn't want Martin Luther King Jr. He didn't want Billy Graham. He wanted you in this time frame. The fact that you're breathing is evidence God knows the earth needs something you contain. Let me say that again. If you'd already run your course, if you'd already fulfilled all your promise, you would already be in heaven. I could go a little bit further and say you weren't even made for heaven. I'm not sure why we're all trying to get there so fast. You were made for heaven. You were made for earth. Man, sin, the Bible says you didn't fall from heaven. You fell from the glory or the potential of God. Jesus came and went to the cross so he could restore you to the potential of God so you could fulfill God's original assignment for your life so you could be fruitful and have dominion and do great things on this planet. That's never changed. Even the Bible says you're God's work of art, Ephesians 2.10 created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Ooh, that means that no matter what's going on, God's idea for my life has not changed. I was made by that purpose and I was made for that purpose. Christ qualified me for the good works. You want to know what God's agenda is on your life in 2023? No matter if Joe Biden falls off his bike and still trying to lead the country, good works. Do you want to know what God's plan for your life is? No matter if Dr. Fauci tries to get you 20 injections, good works. Do you no matter if anything goes wrong with AI in the world and God's plan, no matter what Elon Musk says, good works. That's why the scripture says, do not be conformed to the times you're in, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we can prove God's will. How many know that you're here to prove something great, that God has something good for you to do? Anybody still believe that in the year 2023? It says Jesus was, went to his hometown. Now, before he went to his hometown, it's interesting, he just raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. How many of you know that would have been incredible to be in that environment? And what was amazing about it was he did not let all of his disciples and followers be a part of the miracle. If you go read Mark chapter 5, right, as it leads into it, he put everybody out of the house because they were all weeping and wailing because they thought that promise was over, the girl's life was over. It's very interesting that God can't perform supernatural feats where negativity prevails. If you're going to walk with God and you're going to walk in the spirit, you're going to find that God is highly positive even about people you don't like. Oh, you're like, oh, shoot, come on. He loves people you don't like. He loves people that have done you wrong. Come on. He loves people you've done wrong, and he loves you when you've done them wrong. How many know? Come on. God's got plans, but he doesn't hang out, and he can't perform in environments where there's a lot of negativity or people are stuck on always logic because God is not a logical God. He's a supernatural God. What makes sense to him might not make sense to you. That's why the Bible often looks like his promises, they look like a lie. He calls you healed when you're struggling with sickness. 
He calls you righteous when you might be battling condemnation. He calls you bold and courageous when you might be battling anxiety and fear. Come on. He calls you the head when you feel like you're the tail. He says you're above when you might not feel like you're beneath. He says that you're prosperous when you might be dealing with struggle. God knows his word is able to pull out of you and pull off everything it's said, regardless of the circumstance. He just needs someone to agree with it. So he went to Jerry's house. He commanded this little girl to come alive. That would have been one of the coolest things. I want to interview her when I get to heaven. What was that like when Jesus said, come out, come back to life, and she came to life? But it says he goes to his hometown. It was the place he spent the most time. Those people had the most familiarity with Jesus, but yet those people resisted him and received the least. This is really interesting. He should be coming to a hometown where they glamorized and honored him because of all the great things he was doing, but yet they had a slogan in their city, can anything good happen and come out of Nazareth? It was a tagline for their community. Maybe that's a tagline for families. Come on, that we've come out. Can anything good come out of our family? We've been alcoholics for a long time. We struggle with poverty for a long time. We have four generations of diabetes in our family. Can anything good come out of our family? How often that mentality has warped us and kept us out of believing God for more because we become comfortable and arranged our faith around our comfort, not around God's promise. We've got comfortable, well, this is just the way it is, and we've accepted and tolerated a weak life. Have you ever been there before? where we just tolerate situations that could be transcended if we decided to fight them? Come on. If we decided to fight our insulin levels, if we decided to fight poverty, if we decided to fight lack, if we decided to fight, come on, addiction to different pills or substances, how many of you know things change when we change them? In fact, God might have been waiting for one person to break out, maybe you and your family, that you can change the dynamic of your family. Not to diminish what they did or didn't do, but you could be the one that becomes the hero that raises the standard in your family, the level of excellence, the level of love, the level of mercy, the level of faith in your life, so the kids and the people that come after you won't think they serve a limited God. God might be waiting on you to be the hero in your family. Give the Lord a clap and a shout like you got this. Anybody with me on this thing? How many feel like we all love it when God comforts us, right? Oh, my goodness, I was in the presence of God. And by the way, didn't the worship team do an amazing job? You could feel the presence of God. Oh, I love it when God comforts me. But what if God's goal is not just to comfort you but to challenge you? Because your potential never takes shape and form until it gets challenged. You don't find how fast you can run until you get chased by a pit bull. Come on. Not like little some wimpy dog. Come on, so a little poodle or a chihuahua, you'd be like, yeah, whatever. Come on, a pit bull chases you, you find a whole new set of capabilities. How many know God, do you watch Jesus in the gospel? He was telling a man that could not have any feeling in his arm, stretch out your arm. He was telling a man that was paralyzed in his legs, hey, I'll heal you and do it for you. No, he says, rise up and walk, and he didn't do it for him. Many times God will come and he'll confront the condition of a man or a woman with a revelation to see if they're willing to raise their standard and willing to step into something new and break the pattern or break the hold. Wouldn't it be awesome if you broke poverty in your family? 
Wouldn't it be awesome if you broke sickness in your family? What if you broke the depression factor in your family? Come on. What if you broke the negative news factor? Come on. Where everyone doesn't just get together and talk about what happened on Fox News or CNN, but you came with good news. You had happy stories to share. This is good, huh? You don't have a political spirit. You could have a prophetic spirit. So it's interesting. Jesus shows up at his hometown, and it says they noticed there was wisdom of his work. Wisdom, wisdom. Someone say wisdom. I want to talk about this for a minute. There's human wisdom that you learn through experience, or you can learn through observation. There's demonic wisdom, which has everything to do with you fighting one another. There is a demonic wisdom in, I can say, social media that's trying to put us and pivot us against each other. I just spoke, as many of you probably know, I spoke for Mark Zuckerberg not long ago. There's an absolute strategy to make you not like your brown brother, your black brother, your white brother, your yellow brother. Come on, somebody. They make money off of you being against each other, not for each other. They know that if they can make you selfish and feel like someone, you're the victim, and we sell victimhood, what does victimhood do? It worships pain. It worships what I'm not. Come on, somebody. It doesn't worship the Lord. It worships our pain. That's why I say you can't be pitiful and powerful. you got to make up your mind. What do you want to be? Come on. A pity story is always available to you. The enemy offers everybody a pity story. But things change when you decide to become powerful. Ooh, this is good. Watch. But there's a wisdom of the world, and then there's a wisdom that's demonic. It wants to produce strife in you bitterness in you. Come on. It would love your house to be full of conflict, an undercurrent that's always suspicious that that person's out to get you. What if we flip the switch and exchange demonic wisdom for heavenly wisdom? Heavenly wisdom is peacemaking. It's loving. It's courteous. By the way, for all of us, we're in relationships, right? Every one of us is in relationships. Do you ever set intentionally the mood that you want to create in your relationships? You ever say, I want to create this atmosphere. I want my home to be full of love this week. I want my love, my home to be full of strength this week. I want it to be full of optimism and hope this week. I want it to be full of passion this week. Do you ever set your mind on a Sunday and say, as for me and my week, I'm going to set this mood and I'm going to walk in it? Or do you wait till Monday morning to decide how you feel for what kind of day or week you're going to have? You can't rely on your feelings. They will counsel you wrong. Your feelings are fickle. They shape one minute up, one minute you're down. They leave you meteor-minded. You can't depend on your feelings or your emotions to dictate how you're going to live. At some point, you're going to have to be wise enough to say, I'm not what I feel. I'm what I decide. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to set a mood for how I'm going to live this week. Just a real quick mind hack. What are the emotions you want to experience this week? Happiness, that's a great one. Somebody else, what's another, what's an emotion you want to experience this week? Peace, that's a great one. It's part, it's one-third of the kingdom. Come on, somebody. With joy, that's another one-third of the kingdom. Come on, you're already more than halfway there. Okay, well, if I was wanting to be happiness, peace, and joy, what would I have to choose to focus on? Because whatever you focus on is what you're going to feel. How would I need to focus on it so you can master your emotional state? Come on. Rather than your emotions master you, and you can live out of godly wisdom, come on. 
if I was going to do that, what would I need to focus on? Because whatever you focus on, you're going to get more of and becomes your idea of reality. You ever walked into a party and there's like a husband and wife and they're bickering? Come on. And if you looked at their bicker, their fight, you'd be like, man, this party's a bomb. This thing stinks. This is not fun. This is not enjoyable. But yet there's a big old party over there, people dancing, singing, eating. But your idea of reality becomes whatever you focus on. If you focus and practice all these negative emotions, all these negativity, what do you think you're going to get? You move in the direction of your focus. Come on, somebody. That's why as long as Peter focused on Jesus, he walked on the impossible. He walked on water. When he focused on the water that was moving and the winds of it, he sank underneath it. What if you shifted your emotional state by just changing your focus, come on, of what you want to set, the mood that you want to live in this week? What if, your, what if your mood became, what if your wisdom and the focus of your, uh, that you want to say is, I'm going to live excellent this week? Would that change our performance as a husband, a wife, a dad, a mom? Come on. I want to be an excellent dad. I want to be an excellent employee. I want to be excellent to the people I serve. Excellent at work. Come on, anybody. Not, not perfect, but excellent. Doesn't when somebody says, hey, you're excellent, doesn't you put your shoulders back? Come on. You smile bigger than you should. Come on. All of a sudden, it demands something great out of you because everybody knows every one of us could be excellent if we chose to be. What if that became a focus? What about a focus this week that, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to live full of praise. Really? Yeah, the Bible says make a joyful shout to God. Job says in Job 5, I will shout and laugh and praise in the midst of destruction and famine. God praises even and laughs at his enemies. Shouldn't you? Some of you ought to look at your debt and freaking laugh at it and praise God and say, you're lying to me because it is written, God shall supply all my need. I will lend and not borrow. I might be in debt now, but I'm coming out, coming out, coming out. Woo, come on, y'all. Man, when God prayed, when people praised, the walls of Jericho fell down. When they praised Paul and Silas in the middle of a jail cell with big old, come on, Ghetto rat-eating Cheeto rats. Come on. Acts 16, you ought to go read it. They were put in jail for casting a demon out of a girl. Oh, I know we don't believe that today, but we need it more than ever. Don't tell me we have a mental health crisis. We have a spiritual crisis where we're allowing the devil access to our minds and our souls. Some of us need to shut the door on the devil, use the authority Jesus gave us, his name, his blood, and say, devil, get the hell out. But you can't cast out the devil you like to play with. Ooh, that was a good one right there. Why? Because what we tolerate, we can't change. But there comes a moment in your life or your family, you say, no, no, devil, get off my kids. Devil, get off their minds. Get off my body. I break your power off my finances. I command you to lose. I'm not your kid anymore. I don't belong to you. The blood of Jesus has made me a child of God. I break your power. Something changes when you begin to do that. Paul, the apostles, are praising God in a jail cell. It says their legs were at the point of coming out of their sockets, arms out of their sockets. They did that all for doing something for God. Come on, somebody need to pay attention. Some of the attack that you get under is because you step out and using your faith. But don't let that be a sign to stop. Let that be a sign to come on. Press in even more. Don't let the hinder the enemy stop you and hinder you with negative thoughts. See, I knew it would be hard to believe. Oh, it's so tough and challenging. No, no, no. Don't let him stop you. What, what, how much does it take to make you stop? 
You settle for false finish lines in your faith because I went through a little adversity. I prophesy you'll have adversity next year. (laughs) Come on, just touch the person next to you. I got a prophetic word for you. You're going to have some challenges next year. Yep, see, yeah, you're you're prophet obvious already. You're perfect. So it's a matter not what's going to come at us, but do we have the strength and the resilience to pass beyond it? Do you have enough reasons to beat debt? Do you have enough reasons to have a passionate marriage? Do you have enough reasons, come on, to build a home? Do you have enough reasons to build a dream? Do you have enough reasons to build a business? Do you have enough reasons to live in sober-minded? Do you have enough reasons to be godly? Do you have enough reasons why you got to prosper? Come on, somebody. Do you got enough reasons why? Come on, I want to help people in other countries or reach people in my community. Do you have enough reasons why? If you don't have enough reasons, you settle. Because your mind's an emotional magnet that searches for reasons. Paul the apostle in the middle of the night, after doing something good, he had enough reasons because he didn't want to just stop where he was. He started praising God in the middle of the night. And all the other jailers, all the other people in prison could hear them. They were all in jail for doing something wrong, but he was in jail for doing something right. But everybody else was listening. See, your kids are listening to you. Come on, your community's listening to you. Don't let social media cancel you and quiet you. The Bible says, come on, in your voice should be a voice of triumph. Let the, come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, not believe so, not just think so. Come on, somebody, not wish so, declare so. God inhabits the praise of his people. You want your whole life, your whole faith life to shift? Begin to praise God for what he's done in your life, how far he's brought you, how much he's forgiven you from, anybody in here, the shame he's lifted off you, the answers to prayer. As you begin to praise God, the Bible says he inhabits that. Some of you ought to shift for a little bit. Come on. Turn off Enrique Iglesias. Come on, somebody. Turn off. Come on. Turn, turn, I need to turn off some other stuff that's going on. I need to turn off Beyonce's new song. I need to shift my focus to God and begin to praise God. You want the atmosphere of your home to shift? Begin to praise God. A woman in Mark, John chapter 12, she brought an alabaster box and she broke it. Everybody else said, you're wasting a year's worth of salary just to break it on Jesus? She goes, I came to worship and praise him. And as she did, it says, the whole environment, the whole house was filled with an aroma and the atmosphere of that home shifted and everybody else put her down. But Jesus said, I'm going to talk about what this woman did forever. I'm going to put it in the best selling book of all time that this woman spent her life praising and worshiping me right when I needed it. Some of y'all would do good. Get in your cars. Come on, roll up the windows. God, I praise you and say with a shout. I praise you for being good for me. I praise you for loving me. I praise you for not quitting on me. I praise you for giving me the job I have. It might not be the job I want, but thank you for the job I got. I praise you that you healed my body. I praise you I got a sound mind. I praise you I made it out of COVID season, out of riot season. I praise you I got a place to live tonight. If you got 15 American dollars, you're in the 12% richest people in the world today. When I was in Tanzania and Africa, a woman took me into her dung ho- her dung home. It was made of dung. It was made of poo. And I remember walking in there. She was so proud. She goes, look at my beautiful home. And we barely walked in. And she goes, this is where I cook. And there was one little pot right there. And she goes, I sit here and think about sometimes I get two meals a day. Can you believe that? Can you believe how God, good God is to me? She didn't have no 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee down the street. Come on. 
She had a, come on, a one little pot cooker. And then she goes, two steps over. This is where I sleep and dream about what God can do for me and my family. Can you imagine? I got a bed like this. It wasn't no bed. It was on the dirt, a couple different blankets, and she would lay there. And she said, that was her precious place where she can rest. And she says, oh, God blesses me in my sleep. And then she goes, look at my clothing. I got three outfits, three shirts. She goes, look at how much I'm blessed and look at how rich I am. Maybe wealth is really a state of gratitude because I know a lot of people that got a lot to live on but little to live for. Come on. When you start inventorying all God's goodness in your life, it shifts your posture of your heart. Anybody want a tender heart again? Come on, anybody have it where your heart becomes convoluted? It can feel like a little bit impure when you start entertaining everything around you and everything wants your attention for your heart. Because out of your heart flows the boundaries of your life. When I get the praise of God in my heart, it's not going to happen automatic. God won't do it for me. He'll do it with me. But the Bible says he inhabits praise. What does that mean? The word inhabit means I sit down in a place comfortable where I can perform. I don't know about you, then the most challenging spot in my life is an opportunity for me to praise God so that God can perform. How's he going to perform? He's a performer. Michael Jordan, one one day, will shoot his last jump shot. Frank Sinatra sang his last note. One day, Stevie Wonder will play his last note. He might be with us tonight in Beverly Hills when I go to speak there. They will all end with one thing, but God will never quit performing his next miracle. He's always looking for somebody, a man, a woman. It doesn't matter your background, your pedigree, your degree, the color of your skin, because you're all made in God's image anyway. You're just what he wanted to make. There are no accidents. Come on, you weren't made on some assembly line somewhere. He chose you and wanted you. He chose the color of your skin. He chose your family, even if you don't like them. He knew they got the right genetic makeup to make up the custom you. He wanted you. In love, he made you. And that's the only reason why God made you was because he wanted to love you. That was actually really good. Yeah, you should clap at that moment. Um, I'm going to give that one a golf clap. Watch how powerful. Paul and Silas were in jail, broke open. Things shifted. Things shifted. Everybody else was listening to him. Your kids, your culture is listening to you. What if the high praise of God's in your mouth? And then the Bible says what will happen? Authority will be released through the church. When you really start praising God, not just to try it. Like, Come on, I'm going to try. But you start like, hey, I'm going to start praising God and do it three minutes a day. Make up your own flipping song. Things can change in an atmosphere like that. But it says Jesus went home and they noticed the wisdom of his work. Let me go there for a minute. Let me talk about your work here for a minute. You spend so much time and energy with, you have so much time only on this planet, I should say. What are you going to put your time into? The Bible says live purposely, worthily, accurately, Ephesians 5. It says don't be thoughtless, but live purposeful. Make the most of the opportunity. Let me ask you for wisdom in your mindset because everything says is permissible. Not all things are profitable. God wants us to be able to give ourselves to that which is going to degree and deliver the highest degree of profit to our life to sense what's vital, of real value. Let me ask you for a minute. If I was to ask you this question, who are you going to become over the next six months is a question of wisdom. Not what are you going to get, not where you're going to go vacation, who are you going to become? Have you let somebody else decide that for you or is no one making that decision of all? 
And if you're not making that decision, you're choosing to be directed by the government or the world around you. How many know the world around you or the government doesn't have your best interest in mind? Maybe the scripture says the mind of a man plans his way, then God can direct his steps. Wisdom has vision for where he wants to go. Even the Bible says that. So who do you want to become, and what's the goal that you want to build? What's the goal you want to build? What's the vision you have for your future? If you don't have a vision, you always revert to your past. You become a slave of your surroundings. Without a vision, the Bible says you perish. What's your vision? Do you have a vision for your family? If I went to your home today, are there more pictures on the wall of where you've been or where you're going? I can tell a lot about that. Because as kids, we had vision, we had dreams, but the Bible says, if I don't have that in my eyes, then I'm going to be led by my feelings, Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes 6.9. That's a shaky way to build a sturdy life. Wouldn't it be awesome to design your future with God as a co-labor and say, here's who I'm going to become. Maybe that's more grateful. Maybe that's more passionate. Maybe that's a person that's more generous. Maybe that's a person that's more compassionate. But if you make a decision, not like I'm going to try something, but I'm going to decide, how many know that will change the quality of your life? Jesus had a wisdom that they all said, well, hey, you're a carpenter's son. They wanted to talk him out of his calling, his goal, his vision and mission. You will have people closest to you because they're familiar with you. But we've always known you like this. We've always known you like that. The question is, does the desire to who I'm really supposed to become outweigh other people's opinions? I can't serve God and man. Don't let the opinion of man talk me out. The fear of man is a snare. Watch how powerful. When I made a decision to leave away professional baseball and to become a speaker, and I wanted to help hurting people because my mother had battled sickness, and I wanted to help people get healed. I didn't want to do Christian TV thing. That's not my feel. But I cared about people that way. It was not popular. Most of my baseball buddies, they did not understand that. They understood the baseball wrecks. They didn't understand the calling wrecks. They didn't love me any less. They couldn't get it. We were on two different frequencies. I had to make up my mind. Would I let the opinions of other people determine who I become, or would I take my future out of the hands of bystanders and decide that I was going to agree with God for my future and make a wise decision that I was going to live purposely, wisely, accurately, living with intention and vision? Come on. You make the vision. The vision makes you. Would you catch that? Scripture says if you have an abundant eye, you will have an abundant life. How big is your vision? Come on. How big is your vision? Oh, I'm going to try to get through this next year without losing my job. Come on, that ain't a vision. I'm going to try to stay married. That ain't no flipping vision. A vision's like I want to go home and I want to light my spouse up. I want to be dad of the year in my home. Come on. When I go home, my daughter knows that my daddy loves me, cares about me, lights me up, talks about dreams, visions, prays with me, calls greatness out of me. I love being with my dad. That's a vision. I want to take my girl places we needed. We were too poor to go. Come on. I want her to be able to experience things and love people, create opportunities where she can succeed. I see her as my highest achievement. That's a vision. Come on. Now, well, I want to try to be a good parent and just try to, you know, I hope she does good. Hope ain't a strategy. Hope's a motivator, bad strategy. So we got to have wisdom, but then you got to have well-being. 
How do, you have, how do I live with well-being? Well-being is a, a state of feeling of happiness and health in your body, in your mind, and in your connections, according to Webster's and Wikipedia. Well-being, a state of living in happiness. How many people want to be more happy? The Bible says a man has joy by the answer of his mouth. Know this, that he didn't say the state of the government, the state of the recession, the state of high interest rates. He didn't say any of that. He said a person has joy and happiness by the words of their mouth. How many know that your faith doesn't go higher than your confession? And that God uses your faith as a mechanism to create miracles in your life. Most of the miracles that happened were because people confessed something, even when they were feeling one thing, they confessed something else. Abraham, the, the father of faith in the Bible, what it says, he was positive and spoke positive about a negative situation. He could not have children at 100 years old, but he started agreeing with God and calling what was not into existence into existence, and he believed an invisible God was truthful and would not lie, and he began to speak it, and it says he grew in strength till he got to a place that he could produce that promise. Let's talk about that just for a minute. Proverbs 23 says, 16, your innermost being, your heart, your mind, it rejoices when your lips speak right things or prosperous things. Let me ask you for a minute. If we were to go into a courtroom and would there be more evidence that you spoke in negative about your life, yourself, your family, your future over the last seven days or more positive? Do you know you hear the word you can't or no 280,000 times by the age of five? Do you hear that you only heard the word yes less than 5,000 times, or you can? So most people grow up with a negative connotation. I'm just calling it like it is. I'm just saying what it is. Well, why don't you call it the way you want it to be? God brought Adam animals. He said, whatever you call it, that's what it will become. What it said, if you look at sickness, say, this is an opportunity God's healing. Well, if you look at this situation, go, oh, this is God's opportunity for him to provide. What if I have a sound mind? I have this. What about your life will change when your words change? Jesus said, by your words, you're sentenced, and by your words, you're condemned or freed. Ooh, what if you could free yourself just by speaking things? Because the enemy wants you to acknowledge every negative thing in you. He wants you to have an attitude. One attitude is, I don't need God. I can do it all on my own. I'm a self-made woman or man. The other attitude, something's wrong with me. He would love for you to believe something's wrong with you. You don't measure up to other people. You're not as slim as them. You don't have the body like them. You don't have a bank account like them. You don't come from financial opportunity like them. You don't have the right this. You don't have the right that. He wants you to acknowledge what's wrong with you because he knows your confession can lock you up or set you free. You can't even be saved without confessing Jesus as your Lord. You can't even be healed without confessing Jesus as your healer. Confessions made unto healing and salvation. Wow, so the Bible says your faith becomes effective. Anybody want their faith to become effective? Because the Bible does say that your faith will cause you to rejoice, or when you live by faith, it says you recover health and live joyful and animated. The word cheah in the Hebrew language. Wow, all because I walk in, and faith only works when you talk it. Well, the enemy wants your faith to not be effective, not work for you. So he wants you to acknowledge every wrong thing. So he's an accuser. See, acknowledge your weakness. Talk about your fears. Talk about what doesn't work. Talk about what you don't like. How many know that when you get critical, you start feeling heavy? Anybody ever feel that? Come on. 
You start, you ever start like go down a conversation with someone and they start talking negative about someone and all of a sudden you're like, ugh. And they're a good person, but they start talking critical about someone. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't, that don't feel good. Why? Because your spirit's repelling it, saying, wait a second. If you're going to do the Jesus way, come on. I want you to speak words of life, not condemnation. The enemy wants to condemn people through your mouth and to, you, to who you are. But if you wanted to change the well-being you live in, because the Bible says, I want you to prosper in all things and be in health as your soul prospers. Your mind, your, how's it going to prosper when I start speaking God's word over your life? When you start speaking God's word over your life? How different would it be if you got three promises from God this week and you started saying Psalm 45.1, my heart's going to overflow with a good theme all week long. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I am more than a conqueror. God gives me power to create wealth. Oh, I don't really believe that part of the Bible. Which parts do you believe? You're going to believe John 3.16, you got to believe it all. You can't choose and pick which ones you want. That's what shocks me about American culture. When you go to Africa, they believe the whole thing. they got to have miracles. In our culture, well, I don't like that. Well, then go cut out all the miracles of the Bible and see what you're left with. Cut out all the promises that don't work for you because they don't fit your little small mind. God's big whether you like it or not. Come on. He's rich whether you like it or not. Your daddy ain't poor. There ain't no recession in heaven. Come on. There ain't no, come on. There ain't no viruses in heaven that got out of the Wuhan lab. Smile. Even if you got four teeth, try it. Your well-being. Your well-being. How many know when you compare yourself with other people, it leads to you introspecting like, oh, I don't measure up. And you stop approving of yourself. God wants you to approve of yourself because he approves of you. You can love what God loved. Some of you ought to really start praying, God, give me a revelation of your love and your righteousness in my life. Because it will break sin conscious, failure conscious, sickness conscious, weakness conscious. Oh, we've always struggled conscious. You become conscious that you are the righteousness of God. Things will begin to change. I remember going to church a long time. No one ever told me about that. But the Bible says that God calls me righteous. I'm as righteous as Jesus because of his blood. That means I have the right to stand in God's presence. What allowed Jesus to walk on water? What allowed him to turn water into wine for drunk people? What allowed him to cast out the worst diseases, the worst demons, 7,000 out of one man living in a graveyard? What allowed him to do it? Righteousness. Because he was 100% right with the Father, he had authority to do so. If you understand that you are righteous, you'll stop tolerating things that you can change in your mind. Wait a second, righteous people think right thoughts. I'm not going to think that crazy thought anymore. I'm going to think a godly thought. I'm going to think on things that are true and pure and lovely of a good report. Well-being, but finally you've got to have wonder. Wisdom, well-being, and wonder. Wisdom, well-being, and wonder. Wisdom, well-being, and wonder. Wonder, according to, the, to, according to the dictionary, says it's a miracles. Do you still believe in miracles? Are they for other people or are they for you? Do you have a logical gospel or a spiritual one? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. God still, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do you know miracles can change everything? They can get you out of things and get you into new things. How awesome would it be, because Jesus' words, if they came true, that nothing's impossible if I will believe. It's the first step of getting a miracle. i got to believe that he's a miracle-working God. Not for just everybody else, but for me personally. Come on. Where i got to choose to believe all things are possible to him who believes. 
You become what you believe. They took 70, uh, 50, uh, 50, 75-year-old men in Harvard, and they were retired CEOs. And they took them away, and they first did all the scan on all their organs of their body, their eyesight, their hearing, cholesterol, heartbeat, their iron, every bit of their body, and took them away for a whole week to a camp. They all agreed to do this. At that camp, they had time warp where they were 25 years younger when they got there. They got pictures of themselves at 50 years of age where they were all CEOs. They got there, and all of the publication they could read, all the movies were from 25 years prior. They had to operate as CEOs in all of their conversation as if they were 25 years ago. They had to operate that way for seven days. Then they did a whole body scan, brain scan, every bit of their body. What they found was very interesting. After operating, no longer as retirees, but as CEOs in their own mind, they found every one of them's hearing improved by over 12%. People's eyesight improved by over 8%, and their organs were three years younger. This wasn't even a biblical study. This is out of Harvard psychology. When the mind goes, your body follows. It proves out, Proverbs 14.30, a sound mind is life to your body. How many know what you believe you tend to pick up? A couple weeks ago, it's on the, you can look it up online. It's a true story. It happened in front of 2,200 people where I was speaking. In the middle of my speech, a little boy comes down, and there were so many people that had him laying. They were sitting in the aisle. You can go look at it online. They're sitting in the aisle, a real move of God it happening, like a real one. It was a for real. Jesus was healing people like crazy. And this boy comes up with a walker like this, 15-year-old boy. And I go, man, you look happy, interrupts the whole meeting. I go, what's going on? He goes, I came to get healed. And he talked like this a little bit. And I go, what have you? Uh, they say I have cerebral palsy, but I, I'm going to believe Jesus. I'm going to get healed. Cerebral palsy. They say that's incurable. You can't reverse it. Come on. Genetically impossible. But they lost out the God factor. And a little boy with 15-year-old faith that had not become so tamed and sedated and domesticated that, oh, I really don't believe in miracles and wonders anymore. He made his all the way up. I, he goes, okay, I want to get healed right now. Don't you love it? He didn't wait for the ending part. He was like, this isn't the prayer part. You said that God can help people. I want to join in on the festivities. So I go, okay. I go, you seem like a really cool. He goes, yeah, I'm cool. I go, okay, but I'm going to have to take your walker away. And you can hold on to my arm for a couple steps, but then God's power is going to hit you, and you're going to take off. He goes, is that the way it's going to be? I go, that's the way it's going to be. You ready to go? He goes, let's go. All these ushers and security people made this big room for this guy, this little 15-year-old kid. We pulled his walker to the side. I go, you can't go back to that because that's your little crutch. You're used to it. He goes, okay, I won't. He held onto my arm. He started walking, and it was irky and jerky for a little bit, to be honest with you. It wasn't, like, all beautiful. That's why don't get discouraged if your miracle's a little messy. Yeah. Miracles always aren't all clean. They're sometimes are free, flipping messy. Jesus threw mud in somebody's eye, told him to go wash in a pool. Miracles can be messy. He walked a couple steps, and then the boy took off. It's all over the Internet. This boy took off running all by himself, checked with a doctor even a week ago. This happened, what, three three and a half weeks ago. The boy has not gone back to the walker. He walks. He moves. Everything has shifted. One boy got in a moment where he heard the words of Christ, and he stepped in. How many know faith changes things? Someone say, your faith, my faith, can change my world. 
I'm going to finish right now. Watch. Your faith can change your world. That little boy shifted in a moment and everything changed. A woman with a hernia. We were in Minneapolis, Minnesota a couple of months back. And a woman that sat there on the front row. And she sat there. She goes, I don't go to church. I have a... And she freaked out. Her whole hernia on her chest dissolved in front. How did this happen? She freaked out. God did a miracle for that woman in a moment that changed the whole course. That night, true, you're a psychologist. You come from the left brain. You were with me. That night, six people that were crippled for two hours and however long I stayed that night and prayed for people. Six people that were crippled that walked in with things. They walked out without those things. Not because I said some great prayer, but because they had faith going, you know what? I'm going to trust God to do the possible. Where do you need to believe God to do a miracle for you? Maybe it's a financial miracle. Maybe you need to, come on, get out of debt. Maybe you want to buy a home. Come on. Well, it's not the right time. Grant Cardone says, wait, wait, wait. Why do you got to listen to Grant Cardone? I just spoke with these people a couple weeks ago, but you don't have to listen to him. Come on. If you trust in God and God puts it in your heart, it might not be a convenient season, but it could be a miracle season. Usually the biggest miracles happen where the biggest obstacles are. Jesus said without miracles, you'll never believe. He confirms his word with miracles, signs, wonders, the Bible says. If I believe John 3, 16, I got to believe Mark 16, 20. Anybody still believe he could pull it off? What do you need him to resurrect? What do you need him to heal in your mind today? What do you need him to set free in your family today? His miracles can reconnect family that's disconnected. His miracles, come on. He had a guy named Ezekiel who prophesied what's disconnected became reconnected. Bones became reconnected to bones. A boy dead at Nain, Jesus raised him from the dead and gave him back to his mama. There's somebody here that you have a family member that's been off and God wants to restore. If you'll trust him and put your faith out and not write him off, God will resurrect that child and bring that child back no matter their age. He's a miracle working God. Anybody in here, come on. I don't know your miracles. I know what it's like for my wife to die on an operating bed with me in the room, and they did, and then she died, and then she came back. My wife, some of you have seen her. She's been here with me before, and I've come. I know what it's like when they said, my daughter, we couldn't have a child because my wife has a titanium heart valve, so we decided to have a child. <laughs> Abort your child, they said weekly, because your child will not make it, your wife will not make it, but we said, but we believe God. That might be natural, but we believe God. Sink or swim, no matter how it goes, God's not going to measure me by all my critics. He's going to measure, do I still got faith? Do I still trusting him? Even if I got to go through hell, do I still got some faith? There's a fight over your faith. Let me end with this. There's a fight over your faith. Look at me, man, woman, child. Look at me for a minute. There's a fight over your faith. The enemy wants to steal your faith. The only hold he's got over your future if he can rob you of your faith. Don't let him steal your faith. Grab on like a pit bull. Lock your jaws onto a word from God. One word from God can change your family. One promise from God can change your family. Lock onto that thing. You're not going to beat it out of me. You're not going to take the word of faith out of my mouth. You're not going to take faith out of my mind. You're not going to take faith out of my family. You're not going to take faith out of my giving. Oh, you're talking about giving? Yeah, giving's proof you conquer greed. How are you going to be entrusted with much if you can't be entrusted with little? You're building your kingdom with little. How are you going to give you much? It'll destroy you, not help you. The love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Money cures most things, Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes says. It answereth a matter. You don't, 
Oh, my goodness. Think about this. If your faith became aggressive, what would you think about? How can I get out of debt? How can I change things around me? How can I heal people today? How can I help bring hope to people? How can I change things? Jesus taught aggressive thinking for miracles, Luke 14. I would speak aggressively. I would call things up. We talked about that for a minute. Changes your emotional state, your well-being. But I would begin to say, God, I declare miracles are coming to my house. Favor with employees. Favor with people. I would begin to pray big prayers. Come on, how many know your prayers can make a difference? Close your eyes. Lift your hands. Can I get someone to play behind me for a minute? Let's close your eyes for a minute. Lift your hands. Say, God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you're working in me. I thank you for your presence here today and encouraging my faith. I need your wisdom. I need well-being. And God, I want to see your wonders. I want to see your wonders happen in my life. And I want to see your wonders happen through my life. I thank you that you care for me and that you're working in me. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.